Logical Progression, Year 3, Chapter 9, Lesson 3. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma jaatu sahla wa anta tajlul hasna idha shi'u sahla. اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. حياكم الله جميعا. It's because the uncles are still around that I'm going to change the order of a couple of things I was going to do. I was going to discuss something with you at the end of the lesson, but I think I will bring that now to the front because there's way way too many people in the masjid for our lesson. which definitely cannot have any children in it this time. Okay, so five minutes later, we need all children out of this particular lesson. The only lesson, I think. Uh, today, of course, was a, uh, a uh, uh, the, the culmination, I guess, of a very sad 24 hours, a bit more, with the passing away of Brother Musa'ab al-Qassab al-Baghdadi al-Iraqi, alayhi rahmatullah, rahmatun wasi'ah. And you know, uh, Musa'ab is a brother that I think actually virtually everyone in Manchester either knew, they knew him, either they knew him personally or they'd seen him before because he was always in Dizbri Masjid and in Markaz Bukhari and with Human Appeal as well. And he's been in Manchester for longer than I have, over 20 years. He was the, one of the first Muslims that I met when I moved to Manchester, one of the first practicing Muslims. And... Um, a great example of a practicing basic man, you know, subhanAllah. He had lots of knowledge and he never used to show it. He had studied long time. If anyone has read the, the eulogy, if you like, that Sheikh Kihlan wrote, then uh, Sheikh Kihlan himself said that he was one of his kind of early role models. And what that means, of course, is that anyone who knows about the history of Sheikh Kihlan will know that um, Sheikh Kihlan is like a counter-reaction to the to the uh, was a counter counter reaction to the extreme Ba'athi politics and deen, lack of deen obviously, that was being propagated in Iraq. Uh, the da'wah was was impossible to practice. Your kind of deen was very very problematic, um, and so you know that kind of creates the conditions for someone to even hold more tightly to deen. And so, as he explained, and uh, as we know so well. His older brother was one of the very first people who started practicing, and then he himself. And they, they, you know, they, 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 when you feel hated, then you start to withdraw and you start to become stronger and you start to become, you know, uh, more focused on what you're doing. And, and of course, this was the da'wah of Quran and Sunnah. Um, and there's lots of, you know, nonsense. I mean, you've either got the kufr from on top or you've got the cultural Islam of the masses, which the leaders didn't care about because it didn't really impact them. So that would be, you know, that would be prevalent. So Sunnah was dead in a country, of course, which brought so much Sunnah and so much fiqh. And he said that, Yani, from Baghdad, I, I, uh, uh, Musa'ab was one of the first brothers that I met that I could see teach, uh, uh, studying Islam and actually practicing Islam according to the Sunnah. And he goes, we were very, very few back then. And so he was able to remember him. And then Sheikh then went and, uh, you know, he went to Pakistan for years and here and there. And then when he eventually came to Manchester, 95, 96, 96, I think, okay, he met Musab here, who had ended up here. And Musab's journey as well has been all over Europe, working all over the different charity sectors, different kind of places. Then he ended up in Manchester. 
and uh, he was a, was a good man. Well, he was a good man. And I was thinking, you know, subhanAllah, today at his janazah, uh, lots of people, it was a very busy janazah, mashallah, it was, it was well attended. People know his benefit. One of the funny things about Musab is that he was obsessed with his computer. He was like really good at programming and all this kind of stuff, you know, like uh, Windows and stuff like that. And I was thinking, what kind of good did Musab do for me? And I remember, I realized that he has one thing in his mizan, in his good deeds, which to be honest, I'm not boasting, is going to be massive for him. He is the one who taught me how to use Maktaba to Shamila. Maktaba to Shamila is an Arabic software and it has all of these books on it. It has actually every book that there, there is in Arabic and it's an amazing, amazing piece of software. It's the most used Arabic software in the world, without a doubt, um, by the Muslims. And it has the ability to search the Quran and then it has the ability to search hundreds of thousands of books. I mean, I'm talking like every book on every subject, every hadith book, every rare book, every manuscript. People, it is people friendly, people can add PDFs to it, etc., etc., etc. It's an incredible, incredible library, okay? And it was new in those days. And the, the, the problem with Arabic software in the early days, they didn't know what they were doing, right? Okay, really. They weren't like top of the game when it came to programming. But they learned a bit of, you know, a few kind of ideas and they learned how to uh, scan and then read via OCR and get data onto a database. But they hadn't got the right, pro they hadn't put it into the right kind of format. It's almost like getting a great idea, but an app is something different because it works so natively well, right? That's the part they couldn't do. And so to download that program, it was always free from the beginning. So to download that program was so difficult because... You'd have to download it in parts, then open it up and transfer the library to this drive and this to that drive, uninstall this and the execute file in there. Yeah, loads. You'd need to understand computers to work what's going on. Anyway, I see someone using this program, I said, that's amazing. I've got to have it. And no one would show me how to do it. No one would show me how to anything. And then the Musa'ab, he said, listen, you come around and I'll explain to you. Okay? Spent three, four hours transferring this 10 gig file <laughs> and did it all for me, installed it on my computer and just to show just Yanni how difficult it was for me that computer was this tiny computer it was in the days, what they used to call them? just the little small ones that, uh, they used to call them the atom processor books, netbooks yeah, netbooks, so netbooks used to run on XP and this program only used to work on Windows XP for the longest time it could not be it wasn't available on Vista so it wasn't available on 7 it wasn't available on 8 and it wasn't, so I want you to know that I kept that laptop for the sole reason that I could not imagine trying to load that program on another laptop. And I wouldn't upgrade to any other windows for the sole reason of that Maktab to Shaman. Okay? And he's the one who put the 10 gig version on. And the amount that I've used that program, the amount of things that I've read from it and taught from it and spoken from it, and lectured from it, and I write my notes from it, and I carry on as well. It's crazy. And that's in his mizan hasnat, inshallah. So ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive him all of his mistakes and sins. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect him from the fitna of the qabr and the questioning. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him gentle firdaus al-a'la, Allahumma ameen. We miss him uh, immensely. He will be a big loss to us in Marqaz Bukhari. Anyway, that's the sad part. I was going to do it at the, at the end. Um, Hmm? I still have the netbook and it still has 
XP and it still has sham on it and I still use it. I still use it. Alhamdulillah, the good thing is, is that, you know, once people realize how good it was, people put money into it and they were able to get proper programmers to then give a, a, a seven version. Just on a side point, the reason why I will not go to eight, Windows 8, is because it doesn't work on Windows 8. So I'm Windows 7 until I die now. Right, okay. So let's talk about this, uh, today's lesson. So are there any um, children in this lesson? I want to record what I'm about to say because this is funny. We're changing the mood completely, guys, alhamdulillah. Okay. Um, you know, uh, what's it called? If there's any children, they need to leave now. Jazakumullah khair. I even kept my own kids at home today for that exact same reason. Shaz, explain to me why when I am going to my thingy, it's not even giving me a video option. How ridiculous is that? Where? Into my camera. On the bottom. Swipe across, swipe across, swipe across. Hmm? It's because it's Apple. It's because it's Apple, yeah? You hate Apple, don't you? And there's absolutely no reason for you to hate it. Uh, get the video up. So, today... Come on, Shaz, we're already late. Uh, you record it, Shaz, off your phone. Khalas. But you admit, yeah? That somehow, somehow the video disappeared, yeah? No, I don't know what you did to Okay, can you get your phone up, please, Shaz, yeah? Okay, uh, yeah, okay. I just want to record because there needs to be an evidence. Uh, uh, Bob's, I don't know what's happened to it. No, you record from there. Just record from there. I just wanted to prove it because he he challenged me. So today's lesson is as crazy as it gets. Okay, and for the last for the last hour, for the last hour, the only thing that I did was waste my entire hour debating with Sheikh Yasser Qali. Okay on this issue. He wanted me specifically to give you to give him a shout out in this lesson. Okay? He wants in fact I said, you know, not only will I give you a shout out, I will dedicate this lesson to you. Okay? And the reason for that is because when I was preparing for the lesson, and as you're gonna see the subject, when we come to the issue of whether when one has intercourse with an animal or a dead person, the immediate thing the immediate thing that I thought of was Yasir Qadi. <laughs> I thought Yasir Qadi No, I said dead, dead animal Dead person Sex toy Ruling Yasir Qadi That was my thought process You'll see why in a minute So then I called Yasir I called Sheikh Yasir And I said to him Listen You might think why Because Sheikh Yasir Mashallah is the king Of all of this kind of The, the fiqh of sex He is absolutely the king He has his class Called like a garment and he talks about, he teaches it, talks about all of the craziest stuff ever, ever. So I said, Danny, why am I wasting my time? Okay, I'll just go and speak to the expert. Okay, so I called him and we started discussing the ruling on sex toys and the, as, as we're going to cover in the class today, I'm arguing, arguing, he's going, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, I'm damn happy I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and this, that, whatever. So I just want to say that I, I, I uh, uh, actually he did benefit me. I have to say that mashallah that he added some really good points in his lesson. And uh, I see I said I'd shout out and I said I dedicate the lesson to you. So khalas job done. 
Okay, that's it. Now you can stop recording that. That's actually true. And you will now see some of his inputs into this lesson. Um, of course, um, we don't want any children in this lesson because it genuinely, it genuinely is hardcore. I want to really understand and I want you to understand this issue of intercourse and the issue of uh, the private parts and the issue of anything else other than the private parts. And there was a couple of questions that were asked last week and those were what formulated the thoughts in my mind for this week's lesson. So where we actually reached, last week we just discussed everything, isn't it? But we didn't do any of the text. So I want to just come and talk about this now. We are now discussing ghusl number two. The glands of the penis, which is the head of the penis, completely penetrates a normal vagina or anus, even that of an animal or a deceased one. This discussion is all about that. Let's now just look at that text and keep looking at that text and see that the sheikh himself made it very clear talking about farjin asliyin, okay, in the Arabic, not, uh, 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 and the hashafa, okay, is also asliyetin, meaning that the penis itself is a uh, asli penis and the vagina is an asli vagina. You can say normal. In, contradistin- in a contradistinction to what? To a not normal one, i.e. that of a hermaphrodite. And we discussed that as well. Now, here is our clue. Now, the, the humblies have put their stall out into where, what they understand about this issue. You might say, what is the issue? The issue is, first of all, when a person, because now we're talking about the sexual act, okay? And the sexual act is something, of course, that everyone who is married uh, does and in different ways. And there are many, many real issues. There are scenarios of all kinds. There are halal scenarios, haram scenarios. So the halal, of course, are all of the forms of intercourse at the right times. The haram would be, of course, uh, so halal, the halal would be um, uh, uh, all forms of intercourse at the right time, uh, sexual, vaginal intercourse uh, during the right time, and foreplay. Foreplay being all of the various things that uh, uh, two partners would, uh, partners, uh, a couple would do. And then also halal is the use of various toys and things whatever if that's what they both agree to and so on because ultimately the objective is their sexual satisfaction in order to what to not have to go elsewhere and do it in a haram way as the prophet said why are you surprised he said to the companions that a person is rewarded for having intercourse with his wife do uh, do you not expect him to go if he does it in a haram way to be punished they said yes sir ya rasulullah he goes well likewise then if he does it properly then he does it legitimately then he'll be rewarded so the, the objective is to protect yourself from haram and if, if for example intercourse with one's wife either was not satisfying the man or the woman then it is permissible for them to use xyz whatever to make sure that that is done and that both couple, that the couple are happy and, and satisfied so this would be permissible aspects and it's very wide area and it has its own fiqh and Sheikh Yasir Jazallah he really has done a very very good job in this his series like a garment and he's actually also releasing three four videos at the moment uh, which you can find on youtube but they can be released one by one and you can see that on his uh, facebook uh, page now um haram haram is some are obvious and some are not obvious okay so the obvious are uh, intercourse with an animal haram is intercourse with a dead person haram is intercourse with a living person like your wife but in her Anal intercourse, haram, okay? Now, um, haram is intercourse during her menstruation or her postpartum bleeding after she's had a child. So, that, these are kind of clear in our mind. What is not very, very clear are, for example, the use of a condom. For example, uh, sexual 
contact of the uh, private parts without uh, um, insertion, without actual intercourse occurring. This is something, by the way, which was something very commonly practiced by the uh, by uh, by the companions and the Prophet ﷺ. And in fact, one of the most famous hadith that we know was a hadith narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha in Sahih Bukhari that this is how the Prophet ﷺ, when, for example, she was menstruating, she would protect herself, that there would be no insertion, okay? There would be no actual intercourse, just general uh, uh, enjoyment, sexual enjoyment to maintain that, you know, that ifqa. The word ifqa is not chastity, but yani, that ifqa, um, basically, uh, halal, uh, halal, normal sexual state of affairs. Everyone's calm and everyone's yani, relaxed and you know, whatever. And no one needs to be feeling they have to do something haram. So this would be the permissible aspect. But of course, intercourse during hayab, during her menses, would be impermissible. So that's fine. That's one thing that we need to understand. And uh, we might as well go into it properly. This is a fifth lesson that we need to understand it in detail. But there's another aspect as well. There's the aspects of what about those things which actually refer to our subject in hand. Because this is not the chapter of, 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 of sex or permissible acts. This is the chapter of ghusl. And what we need to try and focus on is what actually uh, uh, obligates ghusl or not. Now we can combine these two and create a number of scenarios. For example, masturbation. Okay. For example, fellatio, oral sex. For example, the use of condoms. Okay. All of these fall very squarely into sexual acts and enjoyment. But the real issue really is do they obligate ghusl or not? Are they like the issue of intercourse? That's what I want to examine today. All right. And it's... It's already been given a clue from the Hanbalis. They already put their stall out and they said that only a normal vagina, normal penis, which is if they are going to say that ghusl is not going to be obligatory for a hermaphrodite, or if you had intercourse with a hermaphrodite who had two sexual organs, then it shows you that anything which is not a normal private part, okay, then it doesn't apply. This is the position of the mass majority of scholars so that they basically say that it is obligatory to have the bath if any form of intercourse occurs in with with the private parts meaning vaginal intercourse it has to be vaginal intercourse well that is what there is an absolute agreement upon the issue as i told you last week and week before uh, amongst the companions was no there needs to be also ejaculation as well. I remember we talked about that. We said that at the beginning of Islam, the ruling was that ejaculation was uh, necessary. And so if there had been intercourse without ejaculation, then a person could then just wash their private parts. Does that make sense? They could just wash their private parts and it'd be okay. The radio waves are thinking? I don't know. Connected to this microphone, yeah, yeah. but they'd have to know to listen to it, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so uh, what was that? What did I just say? Yeah, the, the, so at the beginning of Islam, the uh, companions were told that actually intercourse itself would just require washing of the private parts. Okay. 
Whereas if it would be proper inzal, meaning ejaculation, then you know, then uh, uh, then yes, the ghusl. But only insertion, no. At the end, we know that those hadith are abrogated, and actually, as the hadith that we mentioned last week, when a man I'm going to translate this again. It's narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. Okay, when a man sits between the four parts of the woman and then has intercourse with her, then uh, then ghusl uh, becomes obligatory. Narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. This hadith, by the way, in itself is a very important hadith because this is the hadith which considers to abrogate all of the previous hadith. Every other hadith on the issue of intercourse, this is considered to be the abrogator. Because this hadith taken literally says what? It doesn't mention ejaculation. It just says enter. Okay? And many of the companions and editor. And I talked about that last time. I said Aisha radiallahu anha said that. And so many of the companions said that. And they made it very, very clear that it's about the actual uh, entrance and the, the khitan, the two circumcised parts meeting inside. Not actual uh, ejaculation. Now, I just want to make it clear that this hadith, despite its importance, there is some difference about what it actually means. Because, إِذَا جَلَسَ بَيْنَ شُعَبِهَا جَلَسَ means to sit. بَيْنَ شُعَبِهَا الْأَرْبَعَةَ Her four parts. What four parts? What does that mean? Some said the two arms and two legs. Some said the two thighs and the two legs. Some said Qadi Ayal, I think. Uh, or maybe I think it's Qadi Ayal. He said that he's referring to the vagina itself, four parts of the vagina, whatever. ثُمَّ جَهَدَهَا Jahada is from which word? For it's, the, it's, the, it's the verb for the verbal noun jihad. Okay? So jahada means to strive and to exert. Okay? So then the scholars are different upon the meaning of this as well. What does it actually mean? Does it mean to exert? Does it mean as long as any form of exertion occurs? Or does it literally mean just to insert? Okay? Actual insert. There is an almost consensus that the meaning of this word exert herself with her means that he enters her. Okay, then ghusl becomes obligatory. So now we know that therefore ejaculation is not necessary. Now, the point is here, the point is here, that it is the private parts which is clearly the, uh, the, the, the focal point. Every other hadith is referring to the focal point of the private parts. So now when we have a modern day scenario, we have people doing all kinds of crazy things with dead people, with um, um, animals, uh, what, are the, what are the names for these? Bestiality? For animals and for the dead people, there's a name, isn't there? Necrophilia. necrophilia. So necrophilia with dead people, with animals, bestiality. So these actually did exist. It's clear. This is text from the old times, yeah? So it's, it's clear it exists, but it exists now more common. And added to this is the, uh, the realities of other things. Like, for example, I was reading Al Um. Um is the book of a Shafi'i. And a Shafi'i, he was. Uh, he makes a reference uh, to this as well. He was saying that um, that uh, uh, that the ghusl is obligatory, whether uh, in in whatever in whatever orifice that he enters the faraj. You see, the word faraj we talked about weeks ago. Faraj refers to the back and front. So therefore, anal and vaginal intercourse is a given. So now we need to say, what about other orifices? What about other orifices? And the mouth is the obvious one. But what about, is it possible to try and understand from the early, earlier scholars that therefore every form of intercourse is a, uh, makes ghusl obligatory? That's the question we have. Well, according to the statement in Um, he goes, 
في وفي وفي فرجها وفي دبر يعني في فرجها ودبرها وغيره and other than that and other than that okay could be what it could be other orifices on her or it could mean other orifices in another person or in another uh, uh, dead person or in a animal that's possible I initially when I read that I said that غيره means another orifice in the same woman meaning her mouth for example so this is uh, it's, the, the statement is not clear then he continues Shafi'i himself and he said but as for this is he's talking back then for the entrance of for one one having intercourse and with into blood meaning thick liquids basically today's sex toy industry things which do not have any form of life but they're being done because maybe they're unable to get married or they're desperate or whatever xyz so the text is there they said no ghusl upon them no ghusl upon them so when i realized this i thought to myself you know what this is going to require some explanation that's why we're going to spend some time on this okay i think the first thing we need to understand is the parameters. Let's make it very, very clear. We are not talking about halal and haram actions here because it's haram to have anal intercourse. Bestiality is haram. Necrophilia is haram. We're not talking about that. And Sheikh will say that in a minute as well. We're talking about whether intercourse in other than one's normal wife's vagina is that going to be the thing which obligates a khusr. Likewise, we need to ask ourselves a question. What is the reason that obligates a khusr? Is it the intercourse itself? Or is it the enjoyment, what we call taladduth, the pleasure itself? That's a massive question, because the answer to that will change everything. Now, I have to say that myself, and I, I went into, I went into, the, I spoke to Yasser about this, because I know that, as I said, he studied this a lot for his class, and I was always of the opinion that it would, it was pleasure. And we had this one hour, as I said, proper. And I've got to say that he has changed my mind. He has changed my mind personally. And the reason we had to have that is because Sheikh Uthameen sits on the fence. It doesn't make it yani, very, very clear. Actually, it is. I can tell you that the majority of the scholars consider that it has nothing to do with pleasure. And my personal belief that it has to do with pleasure is not supported by, by hardly any scholars whatsoever. So it's an easy position to leave. And best to come over to the majority of the scholars, which is that it has nothing to do with pleasure. Now, if you hold that position, which is the majority of the scholars, and clearly it is the Hanbali position, because they've made it very, very clear. I mean, if it was to do with pleasure, it doesn't matter that the hermaphrodite or not hermaphrodite, right? If you have an intercourse with the hermaphrodite, and if it's, it's vaginal intercourse with the hermaphrodite, so what is hermaphrodite? If pleasure is there, then it should be a ghusl. But the point is, they made it very, very clear. That it's not to do with uh, pleasure, it's to do with the actual, legitimate, proper vaginal or private part intercourse. That's what it's about. Proper, original, private part. That's why bestiality and necrophilia are included. Because they're proper, even though it's haram, but it's a proper one. So now the question then arises, if that is the illa, then can we then give rulings to other forms of action? Can we give rulings to ghusl, for ghusl in other scenarios? For example, oral. For example, um, masturbation. For example, for uh, what else? Uh, what, what, what other scenarios? Huh? Um, 
uh, I mean, I don't want to get too explicit. The point is, is that every other form of sexual activity between a husband and a wife, okay, um, uh, anything and everything that could possibly be, if pleasure is not the issue, then therefore intercourse itself is the only thing which is going to obligate. Now, I just want to make it very, very clear, though, to, so that no one gets confused. If there was another way or something like masturbation, like um, like some other sexual act, for example, that was committed by the wife or the, 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 done by the wife or the husband or the husband for the wife, and it led to an orgasm or it led to ejaculation, then of course ghusl then becomes obligatory. Let's let no one ever forget that, okay? Because that's a given. Any time there's ejaculation, for whatever reason, the ghusl becomes obligatory. What we are talking about in this entire chapter is pure intercourse without any ejaculation. So even when we're talking about oral sex or masturbation or X or Y, we are talking without ejaculation. Does that make, is, so that, that, that's very, very clear. So therefore, what, what, what can we conclude? We can conclude, okay, if we look at what the sheikh says, and it's, 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 the, the statement is there, even that of an animal or a deceased one, that into the um, uh, animal or into a deceased one, even though it is haram, it is the ruling that it will obligate the ghusl. It will obligate uh, a ghusl. I will just say... Uh, yeah. So, even myself, I don't know how to kind of approach this kind of lesson, so I'm a bit all over the place, and I've written a few notes here and there. I think we can conclude what? We can conclude that to obligate ghusl, there has to be proper vaginal intercourse. Anal intercourse and bestiality and necrophilia would also obligate ghusl, but it would be a haram act. Everything other than that, as long as there's no ejaculation, would also obligate, uh, would not obligate ghusl. If anyone was able to write that down, that is basically the lesson that is the humbly position, Sheikh Uthameen's position, and the class position as well. I'll try and repeat that. I'm not even sure what I kind of said, but... Um, vaginal intercourse regardless of ejaculation regardless of her climaxing obligates ghusl on both of them anal intercourse regardless of ejaculation obligates ghusl bestiality animals necrophilia dead people in their private parts vagina or back alright obligates ghusl even if there is no ejaculation any other act sexual act in any form in any way with anyone regardless whether it is halal or not obligates ghusl if there is ejaculation any other sexual act Regardless of its halal or haram, halal, for example, would be sex toys between couples, haram would be person person doing masturbation by himself. Any other sexual act that does not lead to ejaculation does not obligate a husband. 
I think that is as best and succinct a summary I can give of the entire subject. Did it make sense? Let's have some questions on that so that we can then clearly move forward. Yeah. Any more proposed updates on both parties? Uh, say it again. Yes, yes. Intercourse, okay, obligates it on both parties. It does not. It's not conditional upon climaxing of one or the other. It's the act of intercourse itself alone. That's it. And again, we've defined intercourse. Yes, we said just the glands, the head of the penis alone. Yeah. yeah so that's the very next uh, uh, three paragraphs. Yeah. What do they say about the ruling of zina with a hermaphrodite? So we're going to come to that like hopefully, you know, 15 years time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to even get involved in the rulings of zina and then the zina of the hermaphrodite. I know you're interested, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> saying is that because they said it was not obligation to <laughs> Zafar, you know, he enjoyed that so much. <laughs> it was just because... Um, you take some water, I'll take some water. <laughs> <laughs> so, can I just ask, so, penetrate... Well, the, 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 answer, the answer is I don't know. You know why? Because I'd need to literally sit in a cold room and think about it. Like for about an hour. Because there's too much going on. Allah Allah, there's too much going on. I just, my head is blown up, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know what I did to deserve any of this one. But there you go. Yeah. So penetration, yes. or without ejaculation, yes. necessitates... Penetration meaning the head of the, the gland, the head, full head, yeah. Penis um, necessitates uh, also yes. or without, with or without ejaculation. Correct. So this includes bestiality, necrophilia, normal, vaginal intercourse, Oral sex. Anal intercourse, not oral sex. Right. I said oral sex, masturbation, any other form of intercourse that you could, you know, like between thighs, for example, between a hand, um, everything, without trying to, you know, I don't know, the lesson's already fallen as far as it can possibly go. I don't think it can fall any further. <laughs> But if it could, then add all of the yani, fantasies of everyone in there. All of that is not is not included in in, in intercourse. That's the that's that's the whole reason I wanted to to do this lesson because I know that people are still not getting this. It's inter, it's yeah everything else is not going to obligate ghusl. That doesn't mean it's halal or it's haram or it's X or it's Y. It just means that mujarrad al-fi'l, meaning that just the act itself, it does not obligate intercourse, uh, obligate uh, uh, ghusl. Now remember I said, and I make it very, very clear, this is of course without ejaculation. Yeah, yeah. If there's ejaculation in anything, then it becomes, we said that if a person wakes up in the night time and he's ejaculated, he has to do so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. In your previous position, um, what you say, So I'm going to tell you why I said that. Actually, why I've always thought that is that I thought that was, was obvious, okay? And I want to make it clear that I didn't just think, and we were having this debate, and I got very angry at Yasser, okay? Because he was, and he said something which made me laugh, and he was making too many assumptions. He thought I said that just pleasure by itself obligated ghusl, okay? And that made me laugh, that made me angry because, you know, he goes, what about if a sister is on a motorbike, and you're going, you know, all over the place? 
Now she has to make a fuss, and honestly, I nearly, nearly strangle a guy down the phone, yeah? I said, uh, my position is that intercourse of any other type with pleasure, i.e. classically fellatio, basically. And his argument, and it's a good argument, and, and the majority of the scholars are with him, okay? I won't say all of them. And you will see one of the reasons why it could be argued, even though he's adamant, okay? He's adamant that Sheikh Uthameen did not hold this position. I will show you how it is possible to understand that this is the position of Sheikh Uthameen from his own words. But he himself made a good point, and he's right, and I'm going to make this point a little bit later, that Sheikh Uthameen, this is not a book that he wrote. He's teaching this like I'm teaching now, and someone is transcribing it. And you know when you're thinking off the top of your head and teaching off the top of your head, the likelihood of mistakes and contradiction is massive. Okay? And so, for example, it happens. There are, there are magister, what do they call it? Masters that have been written about Sheikh Uthameen's fiqh. Because all of Sheikh Uthameen's fiqh, nearly all of it, I think, or I think all of it, is all transcribed. He never wrote a fiqh book. <laughs> And so therefore it's very clear to see from him his style of fiqh and the kind of mistakes he falls into. And in the master's study that did an analysis of his fiqh, they showed that he contradicts himself here and there. Do you understand? And so Yasser used that as his defense. It's weak, at the same time it's a good point. I said it's a clear statement, bro. He said, no, you know that in his other fatawa he's made it very, very clear this is his position. So you have to interpret this statement in light of those fatawa, this was like one of the, his kind of slips or whatever. So I said, whatever. Let me read that and then we'll come back to this. Okay, let me read what he said. He asked the question at the bottom of page four, 339. He goes that this entire ruling about intercourse, whatever, is this with or without a ha'il? A ha'il is a cover. And in our modern time, it's a condom. Okay? But I want you to understand, I don't want you to think necessarily condom, okay? But ha'il, meaning a sheath, cover. Okay. He goes, some of the scholars, قَالَ بَعْدُ الْعُلَمَاءِ At the top of 340, he goes, They said, لِأَنَّهُ مَا الْحَائِلِ لَا يَسْتُقْ عَلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ مَسَّ الْخِتَانُ بِالْخِتَانِ فَلَا يَجِبُ الْغُسُلِ He said, there are some scholars that said that if there is a condom or a cover, or uh, something, okay, then ghusl is not obligatory. Ghusl is not obligatory. And the reason they said that is because the two circumcised parts, which is the other hadith, they didn't meet. They didn't touch because there's a cover. Okay? That's what some scholars said. And others said, he goes, the others said, and he's referring to the majority, he said, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if condom or not condom, because the statement of the Prophet is a very clear and general one, in that he said, jahadaha, and that he has intercourse with her. Didn't mention that it's with her or with not, it's the act of intercourse itself. It doesn't matter if there's a covering or not covering, etc. And he goes, there was another group, a third group, you can almost say, that kind of went into the issue in a bit of detail. They said, no, it's not this and it's not this, but it's this. Now listen carefully to what he says. He, I'm going to try and translate word for word. 
in Arabic. They said, if the condom is thin, thin enough so that pleasure can be felt, ghusl becomes obligatory. Okay? If it's thin enough so that that pleasure can be felt, then it is obligatory. But if it is not thin, then ghusl is not obligatory. For me, this makes most sense. But obviously, no doubt, what is better and what is safer is to make ghusl. That's Sheikh Uthameen's exact statement. Now, let's do that again. And now you tell me what you can understand from that statement. He basically said that if this condom is like the modern day condom, super sensitive, all that kind of stuff, then you must make then then and the the pleasure is definitely felt then which uh, becomes obligatory as for if it is so thick for in lam yakun raqiqan then it is then it is not obligatory and this makes more sense for hadal aqrab this is closer closer what what does that mean closer to him yeah and this makes more sense to me so that's his position. Then he said the statement which we will all be happy to say, which is, you know what, we're not going to flap around on the thickness and not if you're wearing it or not. It's better just to assume if there's intercourse, then you know what, make khusr, that's safer and better. So now my question is this, why would he, if, he can, if, he, if, we, if pleasure was not important, why would this discussion even be there? That was my argument. Okay? Yasser said, okay, Yasser is saying that that's not necessarily... He mentioned the word pleasure, but not in the sense of that it is the illa of the act. That it is the it is the illa of the act, but rather as a sifa. And that's a really good response, actually. Now, what does that mean? He, what's he trying to say? He's trying to say that... Sheikh Uthameen saying that it's got to be thin enough to feel sexual pleasure is not him saying that's the illa. He's trying to describe how thin something should be so that you can feel sexual pleasure. He's not saying that it's about sexual. It's, it's not saying it's about sexual pleasure, but he's trying to describe something to be so thin that it wouldn't stop sexual pleasure. And then the second statement, which is that, but if it is not raqiq, so for example, like someone used like I don't know, like a glove, or something crazy like a scarf, and then it doesn't make ghusl. Well, you know what? Maybe it's now out of the issue of pleasure. It's out of the possibility of whether there was any insertion in the first place. You understand? If something is so wrapped up and so much covered, maybe there was not even technical insertion. So if you put all these caveats into this, then yes, it can be read, then it's not about pleasure. So I want to say to you that, you know, that argument still stands. I think there's a debate there. I'm not going to just give up just like that. But I have to say that I do feel more comfortable in my mind now that yes, the position of the majority is fine. It's not to do with sexual pleasure. It's to do with intercourse. Therefore, how, what can we conclude? We can conclude that it doesn't matter whether the person is using a condom or not, if there is vaginal intercourse or anal intercourse or bestiality or necrophilia, without ejaculation, it doesn't matter, there has to be ghusl. Whether it's permissible or not, there has to be ghusl. Okay? That's the basic ruling that we've learned from that. Yeah? Questions? Yeah, let's take some questions because the next one, I don't mind taking questions now on this here and now online because the next one is, mashallah, something and it's back to normal life. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So just to clarify then, so in the previous position, Galatia would have 
with pleasure. Correct, correct, correct. In my mind, that would have been something that would obligate ghusl. Masturbation would have obligated ghusl, etc., etc. This is all before any form of ejaculation. But when I think about it now, and the majority of scholars likewise are on this position, they say no. It is only ejaculation or intercourse itself in a normative fashion or the illegal fashion. But oral intercourse, other forms of intercourse, any other crazy stuff, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 no. Yeah. Okay, there's a couple of questions. Maybe take these four at once. Um, does oral intercourse, etc., apply also by both parties? What is the ruling? So, uh, oral intercourse does not. What is the ruling if the husband reaches climax for oral sex, not necessarily unprotected, either because he's wearing a condom or without? So he clearly needs to make a gospel with his wife. No, no, hold on. You've got to start that question again and slow. What is the ruling if, i.e., a husband reaches climax through oral sex, not necessarily unprotected, either because he is wearing a condom and or withdraws, though he clearly needs to take a gospel, would his wife also need to take gospel? Allah, I don't know about that. If a woman... Definitely safer for her to take gospel. No doubt about that. But Yani, is it obligatory upon her? I don't want to. I don't want to. It's not. Uh, the reason I'm saying I don't know is obvious why. Because if we were, if this was being asked in vaginal intercourse, he climaxed, she didn't. They still have to make also. Because what did we say? We said that actual insertion is the the reason for also. She's kind of the questioner has made the same qiyas for oral sex, but it's not the same qiyas because it's not intercourse. It's not called intercourse. Okay? And so, even though he climaxes, if it was normal intercourse, then it would be upon both of them. But because it's not normal intercourse, now we don't have the same principle. I would say it's safer to apply the same principle that it is just the intercourse there that did the job there and, you know. They should make also, but for him, now that of course his orgasm ejaculated, then he has to make a also. And her, technically speaking, she doesn't. But that thought of that, it doesn't sit well with me. So, Allahu a'lam, with respect to the obligation, no doubt that it's better for her to make also. Better, so recommended. Yeah. If a woman was to form a relation for her husband or vice versa, and that person then ejaculated, would this obligate also for the one that ejaculated? Same answer. Same exact same answer. If a man and woman were involved in some sexual whatever with one another, and one of them and one of them, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, sorry, let me make that clear. Let me, let me start again. Uh, all intercourse is by a side. That's done, okay? Because that is a form of intercourse. That's the reason why there's some doubt about it. But the question, and now ask another question: What if a person? was to do what if you know the, the the husband or the wife does a sexual act on the other and it's not intercourse and they climax but the one who's doing it doesn't then no doubt uh upon the first no ghusl upon the second obligatorily there is no ghusl upon the first but a ghusl upon the second obviously touching private parts etc would require wudu. yeah we know that touching the private parts and this is sexual isn't it Remember, we needed to go back now to last year. We talked about what breaks the wudu. We said that touching the private parts with sexual desire breaks it. So, for example, if a woman was masturbating her husband and he ejaculated, he would then have to be have to make ghusl because of ejaculation 
Whereas she would have to make wudu because she has touched the prior past with desire. But not, not ghusl. We've covered that before. Mm-hmm. Done that? Anyone else? Any issues? So using the same analogy in your previous example. So why did I not give the same answer there? Because there is, there is mentally the same... Um, not same, there's mentally a far too big similarity with intercourse. The yes. Technically, the scholars will say no. Technically, the scholars will say there's absolutely no difference in what we just said there. They will say that no oral sex itself uh, for the the woman there'd be no um, no ghusl. Uh, uh, yeah, just wudu. Whereas uh, the man would have to be have ghusl. But yeah, you know. That's what the scholars would say. I myself, I'm just not comfortable with that. It's far too similar, etc., etc. This is going back to my old opinion, kind of creeping through my heart, not feeling comfortable with it. What about about if there was oral sex but there was no uh, climaxing? Then nothing. Then nothing. Yeah. So. Why then are we making it obligatory upon her just because he. That's what says, but the majority of scholars said that. The majority of scholars said that, but even in the in even even in the presence of that, we're talking about making it obligatory. No scholar wants to avoid a ghusl after these kind of acts, but we're talking about obligatory, and that's ultimately what we need to know from a legal point of view. Yeah. Anyone? Done. I think we should call it. We haven't had a proper lesson, yet. Yeah, but I think uh, we just keep the content of the next lesson clean from this one. <laughs> but you know what that means? That was a 49 minute lesson with. For people who are revising the lesson, just thinking back, you know. That's a good point, actually. That's a good point. From a revising point of view, it's good. We can stamp these three as explicit, and the rest is all the only basic stuff. Good point. Class, any other questions? Anything else? Well then. I think this clarity on the use of the condom the brother asked before. Yes. So the brother said, oh, what was it? Where's the condom? Is it gone? The, the, uh, uh, what did he ask about the condom? Whether it requires a ghusl. The use of a condom, does it require a ghusl? Yes, yeah, so, so I said, I said that uh, the majority of scholars consider that the, the presence of a condom to not change the ruling. Therefore, Wearing the condom itself will still obligate ghusl because intercourse has occurred. It's a simple question. If a person wears intercourse, if a, if a person wears a condom, do you still call it intercourse? The answer is yes. And so if we do culturally call it intercourse still, then why are we changing the ruling? Because hadith didn't say anything other than he has, he said he has intercourse. So therefore, you know, and likewise, for example, if he ejaculates, regardless of inside or outside a, a condom, the ghusl is still there, right? So yeah, it, it, makes, it makes sense. It, it follows on well. It follows on well. They would be obligatory in each case. And the condom does not prevent ghusl in any, in any form. So I, I summarized you know, what I said before. I, can't even want, I don't even want to say that. I hope summary again. But I've said it twice. Find it there, inshallah. That's that point. Any other, any other questions or any other issues? of the liquids and whatever because you know what I don't think we ever want to come back to this issue ever again like ever again I don't think there's anything there's some crazy stuff later on but we can black that
ya dan kelas zakmulakhir subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika asyhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaikum